Hello and welcome back to the JMSU mini-series of LJMU's 1823 podcast. My name's Lois and in this episode we're discussing neurodiversity among students. I'm joined today by Jack, who is just about to start his PhD at LJMU. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Jack. Um, just tell us a bit about yourself and why you've come on here. So my name's Jack Fitzpatrick. I'm 21 years old and I've had a diagnosis of autism and dyspraxia since the age of three years old. I feel that I want to be an advocate um, for people with neurodiverse conditions. I feel it's really important to raise awareness of this and to make sure that the both students, staff and the public are, are understanding of what conditions encompass neurodiversity as well as um as well as you know how important opportunities um can arise from having neurodiverse people within your workforce um and also within organizations and society as well brilliant and you said that you were diagnosed at three years old that's Mm. like a very quite a young age Mm. really what were the first sort of signs that your parents noticed so my parents suspected something was um wrong sooner because I was struggling walking and talking and just the developmental milestones that are usually there that are hit within the first six 18 24 months you know um but my mum's a social worker, my dad's a police officer, so they have a great understanding of what disability looks like and, and you know, kind of deal with it on a on a daily basis. Um, in terms of this, um, in terms of this, what they noticed was actually when a health visitor came um, to do my checkups at, at a young age on, on to seeing how my development was, she noticed something was wrong and referred me to a community paediatrician because I was constantly being sick because the milk was not agreeing with me that I was having when I was younger and I just kept on being sick all the time. In terms of this as well, the diagnostic process um, was quite straightforward really because I was on reins until I was four or five because I any time that I wasn't in that supported you know um like harness type of thing I would keep falling over and my when they did the analysis of my disability um for my diagnostic assessment um I was minus eight on the centiles usually um it only goes to zero so it, it was more severe than than the scale rating for my coordination so I couldn't sit upright on a chair I used to flop over to the side things like that is is really um a struggle for me and I've overcome it uh, through many years of support and strategies um you know for instance my coordination has been helped through a trainer that I've had for many years um who's helped me to get up off the floor properly giving me tone giving me muscle core exercises and that has been really helpful as well that's really interesting. So did that support sort of begin as soon as you were diagnosed and then it's carried on throughout your life? Yeah, so that support started as soon as soon as I was diagnosed. So it took a while to get the diagnosis. So I was four by the time that I, I got support in place. Um, we had a bit of a struggle initially to find the right learning support assistant, but uh, Lorraine Bradbury came along who was absolutely fantastic with me. She helped me overcome all of my 
kind of challenges and barriers that were facing me to enable me to reach my full potential within school. It, it's not saying that it didn't come without its challenges. Um, it's saying that she used things such as like touching her chin to improve my eye contact um, to get me to look at, at the eyes and, and, and to maintain normal daily conversation. She also used um, things such as door and TP and the order rescue and social store social use of stories to help me understand the world and process it around me as well as helping me to read and write because uh, originally my glasses uh, I, I had glasses when I was about five and I still wear them now but it didn't have the special powers that my grandma's had because when she put them on she could immediately read I couldn't read at this point mm. so in terms of that she helped me by overcoming my reluctancy and helping me to read and write as well um because as you imagine with the disabilities of autism and dyspraxia there was a slight developmental delay so in terms of that she helped me overcome that and keep up with my peers um another challenge was during school when i was uh, at pe um she was not in the room and a teacher let's call her mrs g um said to me because i couldn't up do up my buttons ready for pe um she was saying she was calling me pathetic and, and calling me, Jack, we're all waiting for you, hurry up. And I was struggling and I was really upset by that. It was by pure chance that another learning support assistant was passing who saw this happen, went straight to the head and the head then spoke with that particular teacher, gave her more opportunities for training and overcoming that type of um, behaviour and, and making more enabling environment for, for others coming through her class. So um, in terms of that, it's it's really important to see both the positives and the challenges that are there. And do you think, you know, with that experience that you have with that teacher, mm. obviously you were sort of growing up in like the early to mid 2000s mm. when you were at school. Mm. Do you think like the attitude towards children with like with autism and dyspraxia has changed since then over the past 20 years yes it massively has i think there's become more of a evolution of understanding um as i'd say um more awareness is there for people because it's become more mainstream understanding of this condition has become part of you know like awareness schemes so my degree was in education studies and inclusion and also there's new initiatives such as the Neurodiversity Youth Council that have been created by the ADHD Foundation, which I'm working on, which are 16 young people between the ages of 16 and 24, in which we're working with them. And I'm one of the ambassadors to raise awareness of neurodiversity and create a paradigm shift really towards a more inclusive, more accessible and more universal environment so that more neurodiverse young people can thrive and, and reach their full potential as well. I think it's all about awareness raising and, and, and being open with people as well. And it's it's changed in the workplace as well. So more uh, inclusion schemes such as um, Microsoft, Ernest Young, uh, Willis Towers Watson, PwC, major companies are now in taking and incorporating this type of this type of approach to get people thinking outside the box. Um, a really good case study and example is GCHQ, Government Communication Headquarters, also known as the Cybersecurity Centre, which have um, created and adapted their recruitment processes, as well as assistive technology in the workplace to allow neurodiverse people to thrive, because that is an environment that need to 
um, have thinkers that are very creative to move that forward and, 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 and drive innovation and create solutions to some of the world's most challenging problems. Do you think that, you know, with all of these new groups and like um, the councils and stuff mm. like that that you're a part of, do you think that all of this together is going to make a much more positive sort of experience for a lot of people who necessarily might not be open to talking about their experiences in the past? Yeah, I fully agree. I think it's creating an area of psychological safety um, where people can have a space to talk about their experiences and to talk about the challenges and difficulties that they're facing on a daily basis. Definitely, I, I really agree. So with all of your experiences of growing up and stuff, what sort of challenges do you face every day and how have these challenges sort of followed you into uni? Yeah, so um, great question. So in terms of that, the the challenges that I faced have been um, in terms of getting public transport. That is a major challenge for me and I have overcome that kind of challenge by using other means and methods such as using taxis. So in terms of this, um, Disabled Students Allowance has provided me with a taxi allowance, so that has really been a lifeline for me to get to and from university. And I think the other challenges have been learning to read and write, coordination and sitting upright, being able to write essays and and, and, um, eloquently communicate the points that I need to because that was a challenge when I was younger but as I've matured and as I've got older I think some of those challenges have been overcome but still public transport is one of my most biggest anxieties. Mm. And you mentioned about the disabled student allowance Mm. how how did you go about getting that? I was reading that a staggering number of students don't know about this. So I wanted to come on to this podcast and also talk about it and raise awareness mm-hmm. because the, the prime audience for this is is students. So in terms of this, for those that are listening who have got additional needs and um, need a bit more help and support in university, as I was transitioning into university, my educational health care plan, which came in in the Children and Families Act 2014, ceases when you come into higher education. And therefore, I was wondering and and floundering, really, and feeling a little bit lost of what support would be in place. Just by a pure chance conversation with my um, special educational needs coordinator at my college, he said, oh, there's a pot of funding available for students with disabilities. Have a look at it. So whilst I was going through the process of student finance for my undergraduate degree and also applying for it again for my PhD, they have offered me a great package of support, which has been, which has helped me to thrive in university. So they've provided me with a taxi allowance, as I just said. They've provided me with a laptop. They've provided me with assistive technology. Um, they've provided me with a mental health mentor when things got difficult, you know, when deadlines are mm-hmm. approaching. They also provided me with an academic mentor. And they also provided, well, the university through their disability department produced an independent student learning plan, uh, sorry, an individual student learning plan, ISLP. This is a document which goes to all of your lecturers to create the level of support that you need in that environment. So your lecturers read it as well and understand what reasonable adjustments you need. So that's been great. Uh, I've not encountered any problems with this and I feel that more students should really apply for it. 
Definitely, I agree. I think, you know, you coming on here and letting people know mm. about this support's available is is like really important because like you say not a lot of people know about that at all and there is a lot of money that can be mm. given to help you know students like yourself mm. and things so yeah definitely I think anyone who you know even even if someone isn't sure whether they could be applicable for it it's always worth asking isn't it absolutely it's, and if you need any more information please contact the disability team who will provide you with with some more info mm. on that were you given any other support at uni or was that sort of like the main thing that you received? That was the main thing that I received, but my lecturers absolutely understood me and really had open conversations with me on what do I need. Um, for instance, this is not my situation, but there was a girl who had dyslexia in my year and she needed it on yellow paper. So they printed it out on yellow paper for her and just that small adjustment allowed her to to understand and digest that information and handouts. Mm, that's really good. And what um what advice like, you know, now you're a PhD mm. about to be a PhD student, what advice would you give to someone who's coming to uni or is already in mm. uni, you know, who's similar to you? Mm. So the advice that I give is make sure that you seek out the support as early as possible. Um, whether that's to be diagnosed at uni or whether that's to or whether that's to seek out existing support on, on top of that. Because if anything, the, the level of support that I've had has been above and beyond some of the support that I've had previously, which is amazing. Um, and it provided another layer and, and support, a layer of support altogether. Um, in terms of this, what I'd say also is make sure that you get the information and ask for it in advance so that you can process the information and also make sure that you ask for the right reasonable adjustments that are suited to you. And do you think that there's still a stigma towards autistic students today? I think that stigma is still significantly there, but it is getting better. I think that the support and the level of awareness is now becoming more mainstream. But I do think that still some people experience that on a daily basis um, because there needs to be quite a, a shift really to, to become more inclusive, more patient and understanding. There has been a lot of movement recently, particularly around the Sunflower Lanyard, which was developed by Heathrow and Gatwick Airport in 2017. From this this has become an international initiative which is supported by some of the world's biggest companies such as O2, Virgin Media, Virgin itself as a, as a wider company and it's in every airport around the UK and it's also supported by LJMU in which there's posters around the Student Life building to say if you need support please wear the Sunflower Lanyard and, and more support will be, be given. So I think there is more of a shift towards this coming closer but yeah. It's getting better, but mm. there's still a long way to go. Mm. I agree. And do you think that, are you hopeful that it is going to continue to progress? Yes, I, I think I think with the, with the appointment of equality, diversity and inclusion teams um, and senior leadership positions such as director of diversity and inclusion within organisations, um, particularly in the private sector more, but it's becoming more and more popular in the public sector as well. I think it's becoming more mainstream and there needs to be more 
you know, conversation and buzz generated about it. Definitely. That's exactly what I was going to mm. say. I think there needs to be, you know, more talk about it because mm. if more people talk about it, the more notice it's going to get. Yeah. That's And that's really important. Yeah. And for you personally, now you, you're doing your PhD, what, what are you looking forward to in your future? I'd love to hear more about mm. what you're doing with your PhD as well. So my PhD is um, Modern Policing in the 21st Century, Time for Inclusive Cultural Shift. As we've seen in in the press very recently, the media spotlight has been firmly on policing and are wanting to, um, there's been a call for change. Already I've had some great successes through this by being published by the Home Affairs Select Committee, um, which I wrote evidence to them as part of their policing priorities call for evidence and it got published uh, last week in terms of that on the 1st and 2nd of february i've also had a trip down to london where i met with the mod had the opportunity to stand on the step at 10 downing street for a photo and also um, i've established a link with the metropolitan police as well but what these opportunities have given me has been to build my understanding and experience of policing because even though my father comes from a policing background, I didn't understand what the rank structure was or how to communicate with each of the levels. But from this, I've created an organisational outline to understand and process who I need to speak to and, uh, and created a flow chart of all the key, of all the key uh, people that I need to speak to. Um, my... PhD is also supported by John Moores through the VC's scholarship scheme in which I was lucky enough to win um, a scholarship and also it's being supported in terms of resources and um, access to buildings and personnel through Merseyside Police in which they're the predominant partner in my uh, PhD as well. I'm planning to look at the systems and processes um, of the organisation and I've already Um, spoken with quite a few officers and staff um, who are neurodiverse themselves and the um, understanding and feeling is that the organisation is starting to change but hopefully this project um, and the study of my PhD will will create meaningful change and create recommendations which going forward will push the culture and push the organisation even further to become more inclusive. Um, inclusion already is a priority of the chief constable but in terms of this um, there was still more work to be to be done on that well thank you so much for coming on here jack and i think what you're doing is so important to raise an awareness for this like it's such an important issue um and the best of luck in your phd as well i hope you do brilliantly which i'm sure you will thank you very much thank you